from Studio One at the worldwide headquarters of ESPN and from Studio HD in Atlanta, Georgia, this is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. We didn't even have to get to Wild Card Weekend to get breaking news that will impact next season at the most important position in the NFL. Derek Carr has made it very clear that what we presumed is the truth and his time with the Raiders is done. The question is, what now and where's next? Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. He's Harry Douglas. I'm Jason Fitz. And uh, the big news today, Carr put out a very long statement on social media letting everybody know he gone, which is not a surprise to anybody. But it does raise a, a real question, Harry, because right now, suddenly the rest of the league is looking around saying, well... Derek Carr, and, and for anyone that's not aware, Derek Carr has a no-trade clause in his contract. So, there are two options right now. He could step back and tell the Raiders, you have to release me, or he can work with the Raiders to try and work out a trade so he can go somewhere else. What's interesting is he has a very favorable contract left for the next couple of years with very little dead money. If he were to be traded, that might be a good thing for a team that wants to test him out. But if he wants to just have full autonomy to go out there and play the field, he can get out there right now and just like start swiping right and figuring out what's next. I think that's the best situ- the best situation Derek Carr can be in right now, though, is you know having that no-trade clause now, you can basically dictate where you want to go, where you feel like it's best for your career. Or you could put the Raiders in a bind and say, you know, no – I don't want you to get compensation. I want you to release me. You know, otherwise they're just going to be stuck there with them. Um, and, and he's already said bye bye. He's already, you know, said that he wish he was able to do it in person. But Derek Carr, man, and I got to say this about him. I had a chance to work out with a man out there in Oakland at the time, and a phenomenal dude, man, phenomenal dude, great faith background, um, family man, loved loves his kids, loves his teammates, loves his wife, and does a lot of things the right way. So whoever gets him, whoever it is. They're going to get someone who, you know, can play the football game at a very high level from the quarterback position. But also, you know, you don't have to worry about off the field. You know he's going to do everything possible, you know, to make sure um, the organization is straight. Yeah, and certainly he's the most polarizing in my lifetime. I can never remember a, a quarterback or a player, frankly that fans were more split on within the Raiders. There are so many fans that absolutely feel like Derek Carr is the reason the Raiders haven't been great. And then there's so many fans that, that feel like he's the only thing that's kept them there. And I'd say that, that it's probably somewhere in between. Derek Carr is a, at times, very good quarterback. And at times, about twice a year, he plays a game where you're like, how are you even in the NFL? And then he plays two games a year where you're like, oh my God, how are you not an MVP candidate? Right? Like So that's part of the beast of Derek Carr. But you can't tell me, Harry, that it wouldn't be an upgrade for the Washington. Washington Commanders, that it wouldn't be an upgrade for the New York Jets, that it wouldn't be an upgrade for the New Orleans Saints, that it wouldn't be an upgrade for the New England Patriots. Like, there's a long list of teams that are going to be knocking at the door being like, hey, D.C., you want to hang out? Oh, my man. And I'm going to continue the list. The Commanders, Jets, New England, the Patriots, the Dolphins, Texans, Colts, Titans, Seattle, Bucks, the Panthers, the Saints, the Falcons. Those are all teams that can use Derek Carr. Literally right about now. But I think the, you know, the team that stands out to me the most, the team that stands out to me the most, yes. happened to be in New York, even though they don't play in New York, they play in New Jersey. Um, that's the New York Jets. J-E-T-S. Jets, Jets, Jets. And we know Mike Greenberg loves his Jets, along with a lot of people up there in that area up north. So when I look at the Jets and I look at their football team and what they've been able to do accomplish this season, and when I say accomplish, 
they won a lot more games than a lot of people probably gave them credit for preseason-wise. You look at that defense, which finished as a top-four defense in the National Football League. On third downs, they were third. Um, also, I think it was – let me make sure. No, third down defense, they were 11th, and they were third against the pass. And Sauce Gardner and what he's been able to mean. And they had Jermaine Johnson that they drafted. And you look at the offensive side, and Brees Hall was phenomenal before he got hurt. You have Corey Davis. You had Garrett Wilson, who was phenomenal this season. There are so many pieces to the puzzle when you look at the New York Jets football team and them as a whole. But the one thing, the one constant, the one consistent thing that they had this season was bad quarterback play and not consistent quarterback play. And that's basically in the end what caused them because there were so many games that the Jets had this season in which they held their opponent to you know less than 15, 16 points. But the offense was so terrible that they couldn't score more than 15 or 16 points and they ended up losing those games. Now, you mentioned that. Obviously, Robert Sala, Jets head coach, constantly answering questions about their quarterback position. This is what he said at their press conference about how they plan to approach the offseason. We've got a really, really good core group of guys. We're going to attack the heck out of our old line with regards to getting healthy and adding to it. And we are going to be aggressive as heck when it comes to quarterback play uh, and making sure that we do everything we can to satisfy that position. Do I want to be as arrogant as to say I think this is plug and play where we're going to get better? When you can run the ball, you got good special teams, and you have a top five defense, you're supposed to be in the playoffs. I love what he's saying there, and it makes it clear that you're right. They're a destination. By the way, miss me for all the people that are going to hit me with the numbers on Derek Carr and cold weather. Like, look, HD, you'll appreciate this. You've been up in Connecticut a bit and New York a bit over the last few months. Like, when I moved from Nashville to Connecticut, I was that guy wearing, like, a hoodie under my jacket, under a second jacket with, like, three different caps on trying to keep myself warm. Today, I'm out there walking around in a hoodie uh, and nothing else in the, in, in the snow. Like, I'm basically just out there in my undies throwing the ball for Annabelle, right? Like, so I'm not really... Like, this concept that Derek Carr hasn't played well in cold weather, like, he's going to be fine once his body acclimates to it, right? So, like, players can get used to that stuff. No, that's 100%. When I went I went from Atlanta to Louisville in college, and I didn't realize Louisville got as cold as it did, and, and it snowed as much. It snowed on Easter when I went up there. And, you know, I'm freezing cold, but the as years tra- uh, um, went by, I got accustomed to the cold weather to the point that we're now. I, cold weather is my favorite. Winter is my favorite season. And it got to the point that where I'm in the National Football League and I'm playing negative 16 in Kansas City and then I'm playing negative 12 in, 12 in Green Bay. And I'm not wearing sleeves. I'm just throwing some Flex Sauce, some Tiger Bomb, and some Vaseline on my arms, and I'm just running and rolling. It's a difference when you're living in that, in that state or that city and you get accustomed to it versus living somewhere else where you're playing you know, inside all the time and you have to adjust to it. So here's the question. I'm going to give you two scenarios, mm-hmm. right? Because the Jets got to figure out what's going to happen at their quarterback and they want to get somebody they can rely on. There's one scenario we mentioned earlier that this relationship is so fractured between the Ravens and Lamar. Could it be possible that they're willing to listen to offers because they're just not going to do this deal? In which case, you know, most uh, most insiders keep saying it would take three first rounders to get Lamar. You're trading like they did for Deshaun Watson. You're trading three first rounders for Lamar or are you trading a second rounder for Derek Carr and then building around? For me, I'm going to trade for Derek Carr in that second round and give them that second rounder, the Las Vegas Raiders, and then I'm going to build around uh, Derek Carr and the rest of my team. Like Coach um, Sala just mentioned, I'm going to build out the rest of this offensive line because we don't know the future of Makai Becton. Right? He's been injured the last few years, so you don't know how that's going to go. I think Vera Tucker is going to be a solid piece that they can move forward with. The rest of that offensive line have, has to be revamped. And that's a way you can do it within free agency. Also drafting, you could draft, have a high draft pick and draft the guy there as well. So 
I just like how many pieces that they actually have. And I think the quarterback position is one where uh, they really struggled this season. But if I have the choice between Derek Carr and a second rounder and Lamar Jackson and three first rounders, and then I got to turn around and pay Lamar Jackson $230 million guaranteed, uh, me, uh, as a front office guy, I would take the Derek Carr situation and be able to build the rest of my team out that but way. I think it also would take a second, too, to be fair in this conversation. One thing, you and I talked to Orlovsky yesterday and asked him about, you know, I asked him, how do the Ravens manufacture points? And he said, well, this offense is just so catered to Lamar and there's no Lamar, so they don't. Uh, I think Lamar can be successful in almost any offense. Let me be very clear about that. But I also think when you have a, a, a talent that does different things, it takes a minute to put the right people around them that can accentuate those different things in, in, a, in a positive way. I'm not saying any of this is a negative to Lamar. I just think it, it, it would probably take a second to put all the pieces around Lamar to make the best of him. They've sort of built one way. So, you know, yeah. I, I think it makes more sense in my mind to, to trade for a Derek Carr, and then you put yourself in a situation where you can use the equity you have to continue to get better. It, it's... Look, I'm not sure that Lamar Jackson's going to see the open market. We are sure that Derek Carr is going to see the open market. I think the bigger point here is that Derek Carr is going to have a lot of opportunities to sit back. And frankly, I mean, you tell me, Harry, like, you don't think that the, the Patriots wouldn't be a much better football team with Derek Carr as their quarterback next year? No, they will. They will. Oh, and they will also be a better quarterback if they had Lamar Jackson as well. Oh my God! <laughs> if you look at if you look at it from that end, so. I mean, there's tons of teams out there that would be a better team with with Lamar Jackson on. There is no doubt about it. I think that we just got to look at this Derek Carr thing and understand that when you are coming from dysfunction. Uh, and and there's no other way. As a Raiders fan, yeah, I, I am the first to admit that it has been dysfunction in his entire time there. Different coaches constantly, different coordinators constantly. Uh, the weapons have been a question more years than they haven't been. There hasn't been a ton of talent. It's a revolving door in everything they've done in an organization. And he also uh, was the face of that organization, not only as they moved from one city to the next, but then also as they dealt with an incredible tragedy that their player was part of causing. Like, you think of everything that this organization has asked Derek Carter be put through wherever he goes next if all he has to do is play football he's going to be better than he's ever been before because he hasn't doesn't have to deal with any of the nonsense that comes with being the quarterback of my beloved Raiders so we'll keep you updated on what looks like it's next and we'll ask one of our favorite insiders Dan Graziano going to join us in about 20 minutes we'll see what he thinks the market is and where he could go in the meantime why one major figure in sports made things worse for himself with what he said yesterday that's next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and Sirius XM Channel 80. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. You can hang out with us. 888-SAY-ESPN-888-729-3776. Obviously, we're going to get back to the NFL conversation. Got a lot to get to over the course of uh, what's going to be coming over the course of the weekend. Um, and by the way, somebody, uh, one of our, our Twitter uh, listeners, and you can you can tweet both of us, at HDouglas83, at Jason Fitz tweeted, said Derek Carr's an experienced version of Mac Jones. Uh, I'd say go look at the numbers. Uh, I've watched every snap of his career. Go look at the numbers. Mac Jones is not in his same ballpark at all. Um, in the meantime, you guys can keep chiming in on that conversation with us, but we want to get something serious here. I want to give everybody a little bit of background first uh, regarding Dana White. We all know Dana White with UFC. Dana White was caught on camera on New Year's Eve in Mexico slapping his wife in a nightclub's VIP section. It was caught on video. White's primary business partners have declined to comment on the matter. 
ESPN, the UFC's domestic broadcast partner, has declined comment. So is Endeavor, parent company of the UFC, and TBS, the broadcast partner of Dana White's Power Slap League. White said internal discussions regarding the incident have taken place, including with ESPN, and that he has already been dealing and will continue to deal with, quote, his punishment from the incident. Now, rather than put any words into Dana White's uh, mouth, and before we give you any of our thoughts, I want you to hear directly what he said at the microphone yesterday regarding this incident. Nobody's happy about this, you know, neither am I, um, but it happened and, and, and I have to deal with it. And, and what is my punishment? Here's my punishment. I got to walk around for however long I live. Is it 10.4 years or is it another 25 years? And I got to, and I, and I got to, this is, this is how I'm labeled now. My other punishment is that, you know, I'm sure a lot of people, whether it be media, fighters, friends, acquaintances who had respect for me might not have respect for me now. I mean, there, there's a lot of things that I'm going to have to deal with for the rest of my life that are way more of a punishment than what? I take a 30-day, 60-day absence? That does, that's not a punishment to me. Harry, man, this hit me. It hit me wrong in every possible way. This statement by Dana White is absolute trash. And to think that he's had weeks to come up with what he's trying to say. He's had all this time to figure out what he's going to tell the world when he sits down at a microphone. And instead of coming in with any level of, uh, of, of uh, apology, instead of coming in and telling us that you know he's learning from it, any of the cliches we would expect in this situation, he came across defensive and he came across in a way where he felt bothered by the questions. Dana White actually managed to make the situation worse By sitting in front of a microphone. And if the argument is supposed to be that his punishment is what people now know about him, then I ask, is that the same punishment we levy to every other professional athlete, every other league commissioner, every other league owner, every other person in sports when they do the same thing? The answer to that is no. We punish this harshly in conversation. We punish this harshly on the air. We punish this harshly as leagues. And in this situation, suddenly he says, well, people now know this about me. That's enough of a punishment. That is absolute nonsense, Harry. Well, well here's, here's what bothers me is that the simple fact that he's sitting up there s- s- stating what he thinks the punishment should be. Uh, that's the first place he's wrong uh, in regards to what he did, what was wrong, right? So don't sit up there and have the lack of remorse because watching that video and hearing it just now again, that's how it came across to me that he had no remorse, that he's not sorry for what he actually did. The second thing for me, though, Fitz, is that, you know, if this was a guy that played football, if this was a guy that played basketball, we crucify him in so many different ways, point A, B, C, or D, whatever it may be, right? And all I can think about is like, you know, we have guys go on apology tours and we have guys get fined significantly, but they don't sit up there and make a statement and do an interview like I just heard from Dana White. It basically where he's playing the victim now. No, he's not the victim. And listen, I have a son that's three years old. You want to know what I teach my son that's three years old? Because I have a daughter that's six and, you know, they get into it, right? They're kids. But in my mindset, though, as a father, I sit there and tell my son, listen, you're going you're gonna to go a timeout or daddy's not going to do stuff with you when you hit your sister. He's three years old and I'm teaching him at three years old. I don't care what the circumstances are. There are do's and don'ts in this world. One of those things is not putting your hands on a woman. That's what Dana White decided he wanted to do. Now, the flip side of that. He made that mistake. Be remorseful about it. Come across as being remorseful, as if you're sorry. What I just heard right then and there was neither one of those things. 
Can you imagine if I'm talking about, for example, we're just going to use one of the very, very famous examples in the NFL. If we're talking about Ray Rice, after the videos out there of Ray Rice, and we all know that video, and we came out, and the first time in front of a microphone, Ray Rice said this, I'm pressing the button. Nobody's happy about this, you know. Neither am I. Um, but it happened. Can you imagine if that is how yes. Ray Rice had started his statement? We would be absolutely apoplectic as a society. We would be going off. And suddenly, because it's Dana White, we just don't want to do that? Like, I don't understand. At this point, if you start your statement that way, you're basically telling everybody involved in this person is that they don't care, that you don't well, care. And think about this, Fitz. Like, a lot of people crucify Will Smith for going up and smacking someone who, you know, as they perceive, as he perceived as insulting his wife. Right. Think about that. And the backlash he still has to deal, uh, deal with from that moment. And then here we have Dana White who put his hands on his wife and he's acting like his second nature and his apology is not really an apology. He doesn't seem remorseful about it. I want consistent standards. You know, and somebody's already tweeted us that the only mad people mad at Dana White is ESPN and their cancel culture employees. A, that's not true. B, I, I, I've had this same take. But tell that same guy, because if he's listening, tell him I don't give a damn how he feels. Right. There, Honestly. There is this moment for me where it's like, we have a standard of what we are willing to or not willing to accept. Somebody tell me why that standard is different for an NFL player. For an NBA player, y'all figure it out. For, mm-hmm. Why is that standard suddenly different for a, a Major League Baseball athlete right? than it is for Dana White? It isn't, see, that's, and we're that's, treating that's him thing. different. That's we're the treating thing with me, Fitz. We got to get to a point to where the standard is the standard for everyone and not just certain people here and there. We pick and choose who we want the standard to apply to. That's, that's when we get better as a country. That's when we get better as people, when we hold people accountable for their actions and the things that they do and the lack of what they do. And we hold them all to that same standard. I don't care how much money a human being makes. Listen, the standard is the standard in my eyes. And look, you and I have talked about this a lot. And one of my pillars in life is if we want to make the world better at whatever it is, then you got to look left and right, not up and down. You got to look at the people in your circle and you got to say, we shouldn't stand for this. We got to act better. We got to be better as human beings, as individuals. Uh, the, the, the circumstance here is very simple. Dana White has not received the same blowback to me that most other people in his position would have received for exactly what he did. So we have two options in this situation. We can be softer on everybody else, which is not the person I want to be, or we can be tougher on Dana White. The answer here is simple. And if we take all of the platform and fandom away from Dana White, we all, Harry, know what the answer here is. The answer is to hold somebody accountable for their actions. We've seen it. We see. We saw exactly what he did. We saw exactly how it went down. There is no question of what happened. This is very simple. We need to be as tough on Dana White as we would be in anybody else in that situation. And if for, for me, Fitz, it's one word, and it goes across the board, everything. Accountability. Right? We got to have accountability. He has to. We have to. Everyone else, the bosses have to. Everybody has to be a, have that accountability for this situation and things like this when they transpire. The standard is the standard, and it will always be the standard on this show. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. We'll get you back to football previews. We'll get back to having some fun, and we'll get back to more of the fun excitement you are looking for this weekend. We'll do it next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Fitz and Harry, the podcast.
It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, and your smart speakers. Just ask them to play ESPN Radio. By the way, if you're in the ESPN app, you should really watch it just to see Harry Douglas's sweet, sweet moves. I, I'm going to be honest. like You'd be a little surprised at which one of us dances more like a middle-aged white dude. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, Harry. Uh, you know. Here we go again. We know you got those tight hips, man. Stop. I do have tight hips. That's that's fair. <laughs> you know. But every time I ask you to help me stretch, you always say no. You know one person that would help me stretch is Dan Graziano, <laughs> ESPN NFL <laughs> insider. Oh, Dan, it took all of two seconds for me to get us wildly off the rails. So let's get back. Uh, we were talking earlier about Derek Carr. And uh, I'm full transparency to everybody. Like Dan, not only is a, a, a great uh, employee, but also a buddy. And I texted him right away and said, "What's the what's the trade value for Derek Carr?" So let me ask it to you this way: What do you think is next for the Raiders and Derek Carr? I think they're going to have to cut him. I, I mean, look, you the the money becomes guaranteed. The forty point four million right next year, and then a little bit of the twenty twenty four money becomes guaranteed. The three days after the Super Bowl. So February 15th, right? Um, if you, you can't officially trade anyone until March 15th. So, like, you could agree to a trade before February 15th, but then the other team could back out of it, right? Like, what, let's say you trade him to the Colts, right? And, like, wouldn't the Colts enjoy, like, sticking it to Josh McDaniels by saying, hey, you know what, sorry, we actually thought twice about this. Now you're on the hook for $40.4 million. Um, That's hypothetical, obviously. But... The other thing is, Carr has a no-trade clause. Like, he has to agree to any trade. So, like, you're firing this guy. Like, what is his incentive to, to work with you? Like, he's better off getting cut. And if he can veto any trade, then I, I don't understand why he wouldn't. Like, you trade him to a team he wants to go to, great. No, fine, I'll just sign with that team. You don't get any picks, and I can renegotiate a whole new contract with him. That, that to me... The no-trade clause gives him the power here, and, and assuming he's willing to exercise it, and again, I don't know why he wouldn't, uh, my guess is they would have to cut him. Yeah, Gross, phenomenal situation that Derek Carr is in, and you know I'm always going to be the side of when players can control their own destiny and go where they want to go and dictate more things than, you know on a normal basis. Now, I do have to ask you about a lot of coaches, preferably two of them. Uh, what's the latest on Sean Payton and also Jim Harbaugh? Well, Peyton's in demand. No one's allowed to talk to him until next week, till the 17th for some reason. Um, and so he can start doing interviews with teams at that point. I, I mean, you know, Denver has put in for him, Houston, Arizona. You know, if, if Sean McVay leaves the Rams, my guess is the Rams would be interested. And, and I think, you know, the L.A. market would appeal to, to Sean as well. So uh, I, I think this process is just getting started. I, 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 my understanding is he's of significant interest to Denver that they, that they may make a push to try and bring him in. But you also do need to compensate the Saints. He's under contract to the Saints for two more years. So whoever does want him to be their coach is going to have to give the Saints something to let him out of his contract. So early in the process, but I think, you know, as I said, Denver's interested. They got that, that new Walmart money. Now they should be able to throw whatever he wants at him in terms of salary and you know, then you talk about what can you offer him in terms of personnel control? What can you offer him in terms of, you know, guarantees that, hey, if Russell Wilson really is broken and you don't fix him, then you're going to get to coach the next guy too, you know? like So those kinds of things have to be worked out, and they're starting early in the process. Harbaugh is an interesting case because, you know, there's, there's the reports about the investigations going on at Michigan and all that. You wonder if he might want out, right, uh, ahead of all that. 
And then, uh, you know, uh, uh, I think he'd be uh, of interest to Denver if they don't get Peyton and to Indianapolis, um, for whom he played. I think he's in their ring of honor. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think he, he I, I think it's serious with Harbaugh this time around, especially because of the situation in Michigan. And I wouldn't be surprised if he landed one of those jobs. What would be appealing to Harbaugh? Where's he want to go? Well, again, I, I think he's just sort of wants to try the NFL again. He was good at it. Remember, like, I mean, he's <laughs> he had a lot of he won a lot of games as an NFL head coach with the 49ers. And um I don't know. You know, this might have been his his best chance at Michigan, and he didn't cash it in. So, um, I, you know, specifically like, you know, the Russell Wilson thing becomes a, a question mark as opposed to a, 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 a selling point because of the year that Russell just had. But could you convince yourself that hey, I can get that fixed? I can work with him. Yeah, I think a, a coach that has the record that Jim Harbaugh has with different quarterbacks could probably convince himself of that, and I think that would be uh, that would be of interest to him. And then. What the Colts offer is kind of a blank slate, right? Like uh, you can, you're going to be able to to pick your quarterback almost. From trying to, there's a number of different ways they could go. So, um, yeah, I, I think those are two spots where it makes sense for him to be interested. And, and my guess is he'll have at least some interest in them. Graz, the Jets and former offensive coordinator Mike Lafleur decided to mutually part ways. Uh, what direction do you think the Jets will go in when it comes to their offensive coordinator? I think they cast a wide net because they have a blank slate too. They don't really know what their quarterback situation is going to be next year. So you don't really have to go out and get someone who, you know, who, who coaches the same system that Mike LaFleur does. You, you can, you can kind of, you know, explore Now the names you're hearing speculated guys like Daryl Bevel and Nathaniel Hackett and guys like that are, are you know, people have connections to that whole group that Robert Sala Matt LaFleur, Mike LaFleur, you know, all that kind of, they all kind of have worked together at some level. So that's where the speculation comes in. But I think they're at the beginning of the process. And, you know, they're, they're, I think they're going to have to find somebody who, who could work with any number of different quarterbacks because I think they're going to have to have somebody in place before they really know who their quarterback is going to be. I guess you have to factor in Zach Wilson and his continued development, uh, but I'm not sure that's their highest priority as, as much as getting a, a quarterback to help them win games next year. All right, Graz. Then uh, speaking of quarterbacks, everybody's got eyes on Lamar. You think he's played his last game of the Ravens? I think there's a chance, yeah. I, I, I still, look, because it's not, it's not a dysfunctional organization, right, and he's not a, a, a malcontent player, I think you have to assume that there's, there's a chance they could still work something out. But – you know, if he's going to insist on guaranteed money like he did last year, and they didn't want to pay him guaranteed money last year, you know, fully guaranteed contract like he's asking for. And now you're in a situation where two years in a row you haven't been able to finish the season, and you're going to miss a – seems like he's going to miss a playoff game against the Bengals, a division rival no less. I just feel like that's going to hurt his chances of getting what he wants. So unless the next time they go to the negotiating table, unless his demands change – I don't know that they're going to be any closer to a deal. And if that's the case, and if there is any kind of bad blood over how this season has ended for him and for them, then yeah, you could absolutely see a situation where it's almost like a Devontae Adams from last year where he gets franchised and then traded. So I think it's, it's possible that what, he has played his last game for the Ravens. Yeah. What would it take then, Dan? Like, and you, what, would it take, what would a team have to give up to acquire Lamar? Oh, goodness. Um, I would think you'd, you'd be able to ask a lot for Lamar. I mean, 
the comparison is probably Deshaun Watson, right? And what he got, what the what the Texans were able to get from the Browns, like multiple first round picks. Um, you know, maybe a haul like Seattle got for Russell Wilson. I mean, Lamar is young. He's got an MVP trophy in, in his trophy case. Um, there are a lot of selling points for Lamar, and I would think that you'd have you'd have a market. Uh, so yeah, I, I would say, you know, if you're the Ravens and you wanted to make that deal, you could you could get an awful lot. Especially, I mean, you know, assuming he's healthy, which I don't think this knee injury is one that's going to impact his ability to he'd be ready to start next season. Dan, as always, we appreciate uh, your time. You'll be you'll be in Cincinnati for Ravens Bengals on Sunday, right? Stay warm there, my friend. I am. I am on to Cincinnati. Yes, yeah, <laughs> thank you. I will do that. <laughs> Appreciate you, Dan. That's Dan Graziano, ESPN NFL Insider, hanging out with us. For point of reference, when the Houston Texans traded Deshaun Watson and a 2024 six-round pick to the Browns, they got a first-round pick in 2022, 23, 24, a third-round pick in 22, and a fourth-round pick in 24. Five draft picks, three of which were first-rounders. So the question is, who could theoretically trade for Lamar? And what would it take? We'll tell you next. Fitz and Harry on your smart speakers. Just tell them, hey, play ESPN Radio. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. All right, Graz. Then uh, speaking of quarterbacks, everybody's got eyes on Lamar. You think he's played his last game of the Ravens? I think there's a chance. Yeah, I, I, I still look because it's not it's not a dysfunctional organization, right? And he's not a, a a malcontent player. I think you have to assume that there's there's a chance they could still work something out. But you know, if he's going to insist on guaranteed money like he did last year, and they didn't want to pay him guaranteed money last year, you know, fully guaranteed contract like he's asking for. And now you're in a situation where two years in a row you haven't been able to finish the season, and you're going to miss a. Seems like he's going to miss a playoff game against the Bengals, a division rival, no less. I just feel like that's going to hurt his chances of getting what he wants. That's Dan Graziano just minutes ago on this show, and it raises the question: Are Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens? Headed for a divorce. It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. And your smart speakers, Fitz and Harry, brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. HD, it took a lot to get Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Watson, away from Houston. Right? It took three first-rounders, a third-rounder, and a fourth-rounder. Five draft picks, three of which were first-rounders, to get to to get Lamar Jackson, or to get, sorry, Deshaun Watson. Now we're looking at Lamar Jackson, a former MVP. Maybe, with all of this going on, they are coming to an end in their relationship. That would It would be a huge haul that it would take to get him, right? Yeah, but rightfully so, though, because you're, we are talking about a guy who has been an MVP of the National Football League at a very, very young age. He's so dynamic in the way he plays the game of football and what he can do on a football field. And even when you think you have the perfect defense, he still finds a way to carve you up and, you know, throw touchdowns and run for and have those sporadic and uh, amazing uh, highlight eye-popping runs for touchdowns. So we're talking about a guy who's not just the norm and you can find every day when it comes to the game of football and put him on a football field. So I think rightfully so if – if if the haul is going to be significant, I think Lamar Jackson um, is worth every every bit of it. Yeah, I mean, because we're talking about a 25 year old quarterback that's a former MVP, right? Like 25. We've seen him play. Man. Like Stetson Bennett's older than Lamar, or close to the same age as Lamar Jackson, right? Like you you think about how young Lamar is at this point. I I mean, 
in my mind, starting over at the quarterback position, when you have a former MVP, that what he's asking for, to be very real, what he's asking for is to be paid fair market value. Because wherever he gets traded, somebody will give him that money. So it's fair market value for a quarterback that's a former MVP. I, I just... I can't imagine why the Ravens would want to do that deal. They look awful without him. Well, that's the thing that that's the part that I think bothers me the most is because when you look at Lamar Jackson last year and when he went out, this team was uh, number one in the AFC. They didn't even make the playoffs last year. You look at him right now since he's been out since week 14, they've only scored, I think, 13 points a game. That's the second fewest in the National Football League. You see a tremendous drop-off in the quarterback play and playmaking ability because Lamar Jackson isn't on your football field. The offense is, is entirely you know, revolved around Lamar Jackson and his skill set. So when, you, when I look at the Baltimore Ravens and you know, they want to make this decision, and I think I heard Dan Orlowski say this, when you say you're going to trade Lamar Jackson – who you bring in is going to be crucial. Now, I have a scenario, though, because I actually mentioned this last year. I thought uh, that, you know, the Baltimore Ravens were going to be a team that actually contended for a Super Bowl way last year before the season started. And I thought to myself that, you know what, this is the Ravens probably thinking that we're going to get the best out of Lamar Jackson this year, contend for a Super Bowl and possibly winning or lose it, whatever. And then I thought they also thought they had more in Tyler Huntley, in which he hasn't showed that he can be the 100% guy for their team uh, two years in a row. But I thought at the time they thought, you know what, we really like Tyler Huntley. We can keep him and possibly trade Lamar Jackson and get all kind of assets for him and, and reset everything. Here's the thing. If, you, if you're going to do that, you got to make sure, you know, whoever you have at the quarterback position next is going to complement, you know, the rest of your team and players on that. Greg Roman, as an offensive coordinator, I looked at Greg Roman when he was with the San Francisco 49ers and Colin Kaepernick fit that bill. He came to the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar Jackson fits that bill. Now, does Tyler Huntley fit that bill from what we've seen last year and what we've seen so far this year? No, he doesn't. So do you do the Baltimore Ravens trade uh, with somebody and then get a certain draft pick in, in which you can, you know, possibly draft an Anthony Richardson type guy? and try to reset everything and start over that way so you don't have to revamp your entire offense. So that's my mindset on it. Yeah, what's difficult about this for the Ravens is they would, if they're going to move on, they need to get fair return. Fair return would have to either include a quarterback or a quarterback, a a draft pick with a high enough spot that they could turn around and, and, you know, draft a guy. There aren't a ton of those opportunities. You know, there aren't a ton of teams out there that necessarily uh, can, can get them a quarterback or the opportunity to pick high enough. Houston, I guess, is one uh, that has a high enough pick, uh, you know, two first-round picks in the top 12. Uh, so maybe Houston, which would be ironic that Houston turns around, gets a draft bounty, then uses the draft bounty for Lamar Jackson. You know, I, I, I could see that. Outside of that, it's really difficult to see who could actually have what the opportunity. Uh, about Indy? Indy, let me see where Indy... I think Indy has, what, the number six pick? Number four. Indy's picking number four. So Indy could leverage everything. Yeah, the Colts could, le- could leverage everything. They uh, And particularly when you pair him with what was supposed to be a very good offensive line, even though they played horribly this year. Supposed mm-hmm. to be a good offensive line. You got Jonathan Taylor if he's healthy, right? Like, uh, I, I mean, I would love that if I'm Indy. That, that's actually a really good idea. Indy would have to give up years of draft picks, but Indy also told you they're going to do whatever it takes to get a quarterback, right? So, uh, Indy yeah, so, is, so here's the thing. If Indy makes that trade, right, and they get the haul, and um, the Baltimore Ravens get the haul from Indy of draft picks, 
now with that fourth pick, if you want to move back and possibly take an Anthony Richardson for somebody else that possibly want to move up, because all I can think about is Greg Roman in that offensive system, right? It has to be for somebody who is similar to that system if that's your mindset if you're the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, system, something you talk about a lot, really has to – you have to be sure that if you're acquiring Lamar that you can make him successful, right? And and again, to yep. be very clear, I'm not saying that Lamar can't be successful in any type of offense. So it's not about just being successful. It's about am I cooking – in a way that brings out the best in what he does, right? There are just things that Lamar does offensively not everybody can do. So I think you'd have to have a real plan and intent. I actually like the – like, if you're if you're Indy also, you're looking around at, at Trevor Lawrence. You, you've got a young quarterback, right, like uh, in your division that you're going to be competing with for the next decade. You haven't been able to figure out the quarterback position. He's only 26, and I will correct myself. He turned 26 a few days ago. So – Lamar's 26 years old. You have if if you bring Lamar over, you you can reasonably have a decade. I mean, you can have a decade with Lamar. Yeah, and the defense wasn't the issue for me when it came to the Indianapolis Colts this season. Now, I think the offense was just so bad and the defense was on the field so much that you, you know, you had they had, they had their moments. But I think with Lamar Jackson in that system, well, it paired up with, you know, Jonathan Taylor, and you can do a few things with those two guys. Now, the offensive line, you can kind of revamp that as well. Um, through free agency or also through the draft if you want to. But let me ask you real quick. If you were sitting there near the Ravens, you had the choice between trading him for a bunch of picks or signing him, giving him all that guaranteed money, what are you doing? Me, personally, I'm giving him, I'm giving him the money. 100%. All day, every day. <laughs> I am running up to the bank account, writing yep. the check, and saying, you know what? I know exactly who I have here. I have a former MVP. I have the quarterback that I need to win with. So I would make this simple. I'm not sure the Ravens will do that. We'll see how it plays out. Speaking of how it plays out, there's one coach maybe coaching for his job this weekend, and it's not Mike McCarthy. We'll tell you about it next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. 